All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Got your Money Wise guys back inside the Money Wise studio with me for this weekend show. I have my brother Jeff, Joe Rust, and I am your host, Kyle Davidson. For any new listeners to the Money Wise program, Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor. We're in our 33rd year of business and with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi. We have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at DavidsonCap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. As we kick off every weekend's Money Wise program, I turn it over to my brother, Jeff, to go into the numbers from Wall Street from last week. So, Jeff, take it away. Okay, in the week just passed, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was down about 571. Pardon me, it was up 571 points or 2%. The S&P 500 last week was up about 54 points or one and a half percent, and the Nasdaq last week was up about seventy-seven points, or seven tenth, seven tenths of one percent. For the year to date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is down nineteen point four percent. The S and P five hundred year to date is down twenty-three point six percent, and the Nasdaq year to date is down thirty-one point nine percent. Well. That I don't know if that was a little faux pas in the beginning. So used yeah. to saying a down week, <laughs> but we actually had an up week, although the last three days of this past week in the market, I'm sure some of our listeners might be surprised that we actually eked out some gains for all the major indexes from this past week because Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday were not pretty, but we also had very strong Monday and Tuesday buying coming in and buying that was above average on the daily moving average as far as volume is concerned, but the selling volume this past week was at or below the daily moving average of volume. I don't know what you can take away from that, but what it tells me is that we had some people that have maybe been sitting on the sidelines with a little bit of extra cash, putting that to work on Monday and Tuesday, and then Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday were just the traders trading and the algorithms trading trading based on the employment data that came out. Earlier in the week, you even had some analysts that have been bearish all year going on record saying, all right, they think that the market's going to turn and we're going to see a little bit of a rally here. I mean, I'm not going to name names, but people had been bearish. I mean, the entire year. And Well, so I'll you tell s- you this. When Mike Wilson, who is the lead analyst, the lead strategist of Morgan Stanley, comes out and says, okay, it's time to get in, that will be probably a big, bold headline across the Wall Street Journal because I would say as a firm, Morgan Stanley has been the most bearish of any of the major firms out there, and Mike Wilson has been their their lead analyst, their lead strategist, putting that out because I believe his 
low-end target is 3,000. I know ours has been 3,400, but his is at 3,000. So if Morgan Stanley makes an about face and starts to get more positive and more bullish, and I know the analyst you're talking about, Joe, from Jeffries, who'd been negative all year. And he, and he said that he thinks that the bottom or we're close to the bottom is in. So they're starting to put some capital back to work. And I will say, looking at volume on Monday, Tuesday, there was buying above average. So we could see maybe some of those institutional real money managers, not computers, not algorithms, putting some money to work for the longer term. So, but we'll wait to see. Obviously, so let me give you my said. take. Since I've heard oh, y'all's take, let me let me let me give you my take. <laughs> here comes the sunshine. sunshine. So sunshine. The, the last joke. the last week of September was a classic example, in my opinion, of the hedge funds doing everything they could that were short. Hedge funds that were short doing everything they could to drive the market down by continuing to short to increase the profits in their shorts so that they could book. They're, so that they could book some performance and get their allocation at the end of the quarter. And then guess what? They come in and cover all their shorts in the first two trading days of the new quarter. And you get a, one of these, you get a classic rip your face off rally. That's, you know, use that that's short covering rally for Monday, Tuesday. So, so you get a short covering rally Monday, Tuesday, cause there was zero news. Now the, the, uh, Financial entertainment press was floating the idea that, oh, the Fed's getting ready to pivot. They're not going to be able to do 75 basis point hike at the next meeting in November. And that was the cover story for the two-day rally, which was then promptly followed by a three-day decline that was punctuated with some comments from one of the Fed governors that said, we're not going to stop doing what we're doing until we see some real change in inflation. So the line that's being towed by the Federal Reserve hasn't changed. And Friday's unemployment number, and I know we're in this perversion of the markets again, where good news is bad news, the good news in the, in the jobs number was that unemployment creeped down, the number of new jobs created was higher than expected, but what, it was Kyle, a little bit. It was to... a little bit below expe- expectations. Not, I don't think it was. But it was bit. it was two six two hundred sixty three thousand. The estimates were for two seventy five. So it's a little light, but okay. the unemployment rate did creep down. The unemployment rate keep down, but what happened with average hourly earnings? It they it, it went up again. So the markets didn't like that, right? Well, they wanted the markets didn't like it. Well, yeah, you, also, like it. you also had the two-year hit 4.3, which I haven't seen in a long time. Well, inter- yeah, interest rates, we, we had this reprieve on interest rates for a bit. On those two rally days, we saw interest rates, uh, the yields creeping down. And then and then once we – I think we got down to maybe 3.6% somewhere there on the 10-year treasury. By by late Tuesday into Wednesday, and then it, and then it reversed, and we creep back up. And for the week, I mean, it was up less than a tenth of a percent on ten-year yields. Uh, the 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 two-year bonds uh, treasuries, which we've been quite active in acquiring here in the last few weeks, uh, we acquired some more. Actually, we bought some in the uh, one-year maturity range. 
Um, <clears throat> I know we've got just a few seconds left, so I'll I'll stop there. We'll talk about after we come back from the break some of the other things that we've been doing in the bond side, of the portfolio, uh, building out, starting to really build out the the uh, portfolio of uh, bonds for the future. Okay, well, let's take our first commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call at our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. Well, if you're just tuning into this weekend's Money Wise program, continue to recap the happenings of Wall Street from last week. And I will say it was quite a roller coaster week. But even with the last three days of selling this past week, the major indexes, the Dow, the S&P 500, and the NASDAQ were all able uh, to come out of the week positive. In fact, Dow being up 2%, S&P up 1.5%, and the NASDAQ rounding out the bunch up 7 tenths of 1%. But again, all three indexes in bear market territory, with exception of the Dow that creeped just out of it, down 19.4% for the year. But before we went to break, we were talking about, you know, the biggest piece of news that came out this past week was the Friday job report or the unemployment report where U.S. payrolls added 263,000 jobs, slightly below the estimates of 275,000. But the unemployment rate ticked down at two-tenths of a percent to three-and-a-half percent. And the U6, which all longtime listeners know I'm a I'm an employment statistic nerd. The U6, which I truly consider the full unemployment rate, stated a historic low of 6.7%. So needless to say, as Jeff said in the last segment, we're in this perversion of the market where good or slightly less than good news is considered bad for the market, and it would have taken a really bad job report to really see the market spike on that news because then that gives Fed the cover to say, hey, all of our interest rate increases we've been doing all year is finally starting to take a, take an effect I think, uh, when it comes to the job market. I think also on Friday uh, there was some uh, pre-announcements for some tech companies that the market did not uh, take uh, too kindly to. AMD. Right. AMD, I mean, AMD came out lowered uh, third quarter earnings guidance by about a billion one. Um, and so, you know, I, I would say really that's that's more of responsible management, but I don't think that not another personal computer is ever going to get sold. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen. I mean, obviously, in the kind of year that we've had, being in a bear market, any kind of negative news is going to be met with maybe a little uh, over-exaggerated selling primarily from the algorithms and the day traders. Uh, But as far as long-term owners and long-term managers, obviously it could be good long-term buying opportunities, but there's going to be a period of time probably over the next six to eight months where you kind of have to cover your eyes a little bit and not pay as much attention to your statement and stay, again, focused more on that long-term. Because there are some great tech companies at some great values that are fundamentally 
as solid as the rock of Gibraltar. Yeah, Jeff, I see your face. My over, I know you say, you know, the adjective inflation, but that's the truth. Well, I mean, that's the truth. When I, you can pick up a quality company like AMD more than 60% off its 52-week high, are they going to be in business five years from now? You bet your bottom dollar they're going to be. Well, Kyle, I think the biggest thing is you have to remember, if you if they did a poll, I would bet the average investor has about a three-year or even less time frame when when you when you talk about all right, how am I going to let my investments work for me? You know, but I why mean, is it three year? But but see, I brought this point up several shows ago. For any listener that is either saving for retirement or is in retirement, now there might be some of our listeners where they don't know what the next three years holds for them, but I would say for most folks, particularly in their mid-50s, mid-60s, maybe even early 70s, when you look at your investment portfolio, do you need every single dollar from that investment portfolio in the next 36 months? And I would say nine times out of 10, the answer is going to be no. Well, and so this is why you have to take that longer term view because there's ups and downs. And if this is, and Jeff corrected me from a couple of shows ago, and I appreciate him doing that, that this is the 14th bear market since the Great Depression. These types of markets are do not come around every single year. This is only the 14th in almost 100 years of a bear wanna- market. I want to say one thing, because there's a lot of commercials out there from different mutual fund companies and money managers. Let me ask you one thing. Do they ever say, invest for the short term? Let's try to time the market. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm just throwing of course it out not. there, folks. I'm just throwing it out there, folks, because the reality of it is you have to be disciplined. You have to take a longer-term approach. Kyle and I, Jeff, talked about it, about the average market cycles, not three or five years. We just went through a period where the average market cycle, meaning bear to bull, is about 10 years. So it'd be funny if somebody came out of the commercial and said, hey, how are you going to make money in the market? Let's time it, and let's actually make sure we focus on the short term. That's a surefire well, way to make money in the long run. The, the, the one thing about markets like this that we we haven't had a, a, a market like this since 08, when you have times like this in the market, it, it exposes the organizations that aren't actually doing any management. It exposes passive investment strategies. And like we talked a lot of, we, we talked a lot about this on last, last week's week show. show. Mm-hmm. The, the, when you have a year like this, it, it, the passive investment strategy just gets thrown out. I mean, whatever gains the passive investment strategy, whatever outperformance that the passive investment strategy wants to claim that it has over active investment strategies, all gets negated, if not even worse than negated in years like this. So for those passive investment strategies that want to crow about how well they've done against active managers, then you have a year like this. A year, and, it, and it's compounded by the fact that you can't hide in bonds. If you're if you're doing cookie cutter bond investing, it's hurting you this year. You got to think way outside the box in a year like this in bonds, and nobody that claims to be "quote unquote" managing money, except for us here at Davidson Capital Management, is thinking of outside the box when it comes to bonds this year, and that's why it's compounding the problems on the passively invested stock side. Yes, Kyle. Yes, Joe. Well, I was gonna. Uh, I was gonna just say this about the kind of cookie cutter approach, particularly on bonds. I mean, I've reviewed portfolios from prospective clients 
where they're down double digits and a lot of their money is in fixed income. Talking about bonds not working, there's no protection or safety in bonds like these passive strategies have always portrayed that there is. This is when you have to get, and like you said, Jeff, thinking outside of the box and taking drastic steps to play that protective play that protective role because i've I've seen plenty of cookie cutter portfolios this year and they don't work and they're not working joe i think joe wanted to say something well i I was going to reiterate what kyle was talking about in this in the past week we made a couple of moves where we had a shorter short position on the 10-year treasury and we took some profits in that and then we went ahead and we bought something which we didn't think we might see this year. We bought some uh, some treasuries that are paying, what, yield of maturity, a little over 4%. Well, over 4%. So, so w- when you're looking at your portfolio and Kyle's doing reviews and I'm doing reviews, just look at the bond side. Look at the bond side of your portfolio and your statement. And that 401k is a little bit different, but if you have a money manager you're using or you're using one of the legacy firms, take a look at the bond side, go back a year and see if they've done one thing on the bond mm-hmm. side of the portfolio, ignore the stock side. Okay. Cause I guarantee you what probably it looks like. It looks like 10% here, 10% there. What do they do on the bond side and the fixed income side? And it's just a reminder that you have to pay attention to the fixed income side of your portfolio, just as much as you would on the stock and the equity side, period, Absolutely. period, period for years like this. So, you know, outside of 401ks, uh, what I continue to see is the passive investment strategy continuing. Um, I'm so so. I, I've been hearing these stories from people calling their you know advisor, and I say, look, go call your current advisor and ask them why they haven't done anything. And the response they get back is, what? Oh, we're in it for the long term. If you get out, it for the- if, if you get out now, you're going to lock in your losses. But 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 looking further down the road and taking a long term perspective, you all need to do that. But that doesn't negate the actual yeah. active management during the long yeah, term. That's here's the problem. Your lack of management got me to this horrible number that's been produced this year, other advisor. So why should I trust you on the other side? You got me into mm-hmm. this. I'm gonna trust you to get me out of it. I tell you, here in the next six months, gentlemen, we're going to be hearing stories from clients from these legacy distribution system organizations, and we won't name them. Our listeners know who they are. They're going to be calling us, and they're going to be telling us, I'm down 30 35% in my portfolio this year, and it's going to sound eerily similar to the stories that we were getting in 2009 from folks telling us they were down 40 and 45%, and we're going to know exactly what happened. The passive investment strategies that were focused in the wrong asset classes, and they never did anything. Because, again, the legacy distribution system's business model is passive. And, yeah, we figure, well, we'll, in years like this, which only happen every 10 or 15 years, We'll lose X number percent of our clients, and we're willing to do that because it's just a cost of doing business. You know, no, you shouldn't be part of that part of that uh, business model. We're sure not. Okay, well, okay. Let's take another commercial break. You listen to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. 
Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps, or you can leave your comments, and don't forget to like the show. So I was just thinking about some of the other big newsmakers of this past week on Wall Street, and of course, I think one of them that I think we need to touch on is uh, OPEC Plus decision to cut Oh, please, let's go. Yeah, let's go because I I'm know ready. this this has got Joe super fired up. So I'm just I'm just lighting the fuse. I'm going to set it up so Joe can can launch off the pad. So basically, OPEC Plus is cutting two million barrels of supply now because a lot of the OPEC nations were under uh, producing already. The net effect is probably is around nine hundred and fifty thousand barrels that are being taken off the market. And what is the Infinite wisdom of our quote-unquote, and I'm using that in big air quotes, tongue-in-cheek leadership in Washington doing, they want to negotiate lighter sanctions on a to uh, Venezuela and Maduro, which is a socialist dictatorship. You just can't make this up. I'm sorry. I know I know. if Dad was on the show, he would be fit to be tied. It would be an entire hour talking about politics. But, I mean, this – I don't care which side of the aisle you sit on. But if you cannot just live a single day in this country and not realize that the people who are currently in charge have no clue what they're doing from a policy standpoint, I don't know what's going to to wake you up to this fact that they have no idea what they're doing, no clue. They all they're doing is 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 trying to run things on feelings as opposed to sound economic policies. This makes absolutely no sense and obviously for investors that are heavily weighted in the energy industry of course this should make them happy we know we've got the spr strategic petroleum reserve at levels it was at during the reagan era that has to get refilled and guess who has to pay for that the american tax dollar the american taxpayer at elevated oil prices i just want to give a hand to joe biden and his team of 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 absolute whiz kids for this so, decision. In full disclosure, we have an overweight position in oil related stocks in our portfolio, a, a higher allocation to oil than, than the S&P. S&P 500. So we'd be considered to have a, an over allocation to it. And we profited from it uh, this year for the most part uh, in the oil stocks that we've owned. Um, I, you know, whatever they're trying to do with Venezuela, do they even have the infrastructure to deliver? any oil to the United States. And even if they <laughs> I know. because there nope. hasn't been any investment in, in, in the oil infrastructure down there in decades, probably mm-hmm. because it would take the, years because for yeah, them so, to come online. So, so it would take, by the time it even came online, there's a, there's a high probability that uh, the Biden administration uh, won't even be in office uh, by the time we even got a barrel of oil from Venezuela. And God in the meantime, I, I'm, I'm really of the opinion that there might be some pivot coming 
from the Biden administration after the midterms, it looks eerily similar to what was happening to Bill Clinton in his sophomore year as president in 1994, when his approval ratings were about what Joe Biden's are today. And there was a big red tidal wave that swept over the midterms, uh, switching control of Congress from the Democrats to the Republicans, both in the Senate and the House. And I we also picked up a number of, of uh, governors, just Republican governors that, that year. And very soon after, there was a pivot uh, by Clinton, which ultimately led him to being reelected in uh, 1996. <clears throat> now, I don't know that Biden's going to get reelected in 2024. Uh, Not a but, chance. But, you know, is there a possibility that there's a little pivot after the midterms? Well, there may be. How much of that will make a difference to the market? Who knows? Because to me, the markets today could care one iota about what's going on in Washington or if the Republicans are going to be taking over Congress here in the, you know, in the, when they, when we have the election on November 5th, I really just don't think the market cares about any of that right now. It's day to day, hour to hour, 24 seven handicapping what the Fed's going to do and what that next data point's going to be on whatever the next, this economic statistic is the most important economic statistic in the history of economic statistics. We've got another one next week on Thursday when we get the CPI number. Now, this time it's a little different. We're getting the PPI number, which is the producer price index. i got to take a breath here real quick. Okay. The PPI is coming out on Wednesday, and CPI comes out on Thursday. Normally it's the opposite. Uh, but it, for whatever reason, the CPI is coming out a day after. But that's going to be, you know, the, our entire reason for existence is going it's, to be it's, it's called, hinging on this number on Thursday. And I'm our, our saying that very tug-in-cheek, ladies and gentlemen. Our listeners can't see me, but I'm making air quotes. It's the Super Bowl of PPI and CPI reports. Then we'll have one later this month. The PCE, it'll be the Super Bowl. I, I really do think of one thing when you're talking about these the, the CPI numbers. I think the Fed wants to see two consecutive months at least of, de- uh, of uh, retreating inflation, if you will, before we can even start talking about easing up. I think that's the one thing I want to see. I do want to see some sustained uh, uh, sustained reduction in inflation. It's well, well, I mean, I think we'll I mean, see. I, I, I feel very strongly. He said that. I'd say say almost take take it to Vegas and bet on this, that the CPI coming out on Thursday, the 13th of October, is going to be below 8.3. The question is going to be, are we going to see it 8 tenths, 9 tenths, a full percent lighter than the previous month's 8.3 print on CPI, or is it just going to be down 4 tenths or 5 tenths? Because we do know some things are happening. I read... Friday morning, that rent costs are starting to come down. We obviously know because of the strategic petroleum releases uh, and the infinite wisdom of the Biden administration have done to drain our SPR to the level that it's at, that oil prices have come down. But now we're starting to hear gasoline prices are starting to creep back up again. But this CPI number is going to be capturing 
September's data when prices were at a right. lower level. Yeah. And so and so the question's going to be are we just going to see maybe a half of a percent, you know, uh, you know, 5 tenths of a, you know, 5.5% of the CPI come down? Are we going to see a full percent? Are we going to see something possibly with a 6.9 handle and how the market is going to react? But I, I kind of agree with Joe that they need to see some more consistency since the last month's CPI number actually moved higher than the previous month. Um, but again, Joe and I had the same conversation when he and I were talking on Friday, and we've talked about it on this show. The Fed has got to get away from this 2% mandate, and I'm still trying to determine where the heck they came up with this 2% mandate when the core PCE, which is what they follow to set monetary policy, has averaged over 3% from history, from the beginning of history. Where do they come up with this 2%? What's kind of funny is – we use these things called retirement calculators. And if you look at any retirement calculator, I've never seen one at 2% when they're looking at inflation. I'm talking about inflation. They're always That's three. preset. That's preset. Preset. In the, it's in always the, the 3% program. because that's what historically what inflation has been. So that's kind of what we're looking at. It's like, okay, we got to get inflation down to 2%, yada, yada. I'm like, every it's not going to happen. It's yeah. not going to happen with the Biden administration because of the cost of oil. It's just not going to happen. And and I just – and, Jeff, I would love to be – I'm typically the, one of the more optimistic one of the bunch. I, I, I will say in this case, I am not optimistic that there is going to be a pivot. I would love to be wrong on this and see this Clinton-style pivot. Maybe if it was Joe Biden of, 20, of 2012 – where he still had his his wits about him, but we know that he is just a puppet, and we know that the puppet masters are not going to move away from this green cult religion. Because to think that that the atmosphere and all these people that are concerned about the environment just hangs over the United States, let's go have these foreign countries produce oil at a dirtier, less efficient way, and that they think that that's protecting Mother Earth, at least if we were producing all of our energy here in the United States with environmental controls, exhaust controls, all different kinds of environmental protections, at least we'd be producing it much more cleanly for Mother Earth. If that is their biggest concern, it shouldn't just be Mother Earth within the borders of the United States, although we don't have a southern border currently. Thank you, President Biden. But within the borders of the United States, if you're truly an environmentalist, you should care about the entire world, and the Biden administration should be aware of that and say, we can produce it cheaper and cleaner here in the U.S. But they don't even think of that way. Again, short-sighted. They only think one step ahead, not 15 steps ahead. That is going to be their ultimate downfall come November and the presidential election in 2024. I, I know we just got a minute, but I, I really am going to go this weekend. I'm going to look at actually who Clinton's cabinet is and, and study – Clinton's cabinet versus actually Biden's cabinet and who are making the decisions because Clinton pivoted (laughs) seriously. I mean, what is their background? What is their economic background? What is their, you know, educational background? I I, I can tell you most background. I can tell you most of Biden's cabinet is not there on a meritocracy or earning their way. They're there for more of an identity reason. Jeff's sort of shaking his head. We need to let him come back and. Sorry, I'll, I'll have to hop off my. I, I just channeled the loose cannon from afar, so I had to channel Dad for this segment because I can only imagine um, how much more colorful Dad would have gotten uh, in this last section talking about politics. So I, I channeled the loose cannon for this segment. But let's take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. 
If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise Guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise Guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at one 800 275 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments and don't forget to like the show. So in our last segment of the first hour of this weekend's Money Wise program, if you're just tuning in, I wanted to recap of some of the portfolio moves that we made this past week. Joe mentioned it earlier that we had taken another uh, piece of profit from our 7- to 10-year Treasury short, uh, still have an allocation in it. Obviously, the allocation is getting shorter as we're getting closer to the end of the year, uh, continuing to cash in on those profits, and we use some of those profits to continue to build our Treasury bond ladder for all of our clients across their accounts, Um, and again, Grabbing yield to maturities north of two, or excuse me, north of four uh, percent. So we're going to just continue to build that ladder. I don't know if we'll be doing it each and every week, but we're going to consistently keep building up that forty percent end of our portfolio on the fixed income side as we get to the end of the year. Jeff, something you wanted to add? Yeah, I really just kind of want to expand greatly on all of that. I want to. Okay. I want to. Ex- I want to explain to our listeners. When we went into 2022, we had a very high conviction that we expected interest rates to go higher. And we had actually been positioning the portfolio for quite some time before we got into this year for higher interest rates. We have had shorter maturities in our uh, individually managed accounts where we own individual corporate bonds and municipals, municipal bonds. Uh, we were expecting higher interest rates, and we've been been preparing the portfolio, the bond side of the portfolio for that. Also, in our asset builder accounts, we had sold out of our bond mutual funds a long time ago. We didn't even we didn't own any bond mutual funds in any of our accounts under a million dollars, and so we went into this year. We we felt like this was going to be a year in which interest rates were going to move higher. This was it. This was going to be a difficult year. And turning point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. A turning point. We, you know, we all 12, 13 plus years of zero interest rate policy was going to come to an end. And, and so we needed to find things that were going to be outside the box and protect us, protect the portfolio, especially on the bond side. In a, in a rising interest rate environment that we didn't know what the velocity of the rising interest rate environment was going to be. No, we didn't. We really didn't know because the Federal Reserve said they weren't going to raise interest rates in 2022. Well, we, we know how that's all turned out. That's what they were saying last year. So we bought things, as Colin, we all talked about, we bought things that profit when long maturity bonds go higher in yield, lower in price. We also bought instruments that reset their income uh, on a monthly basis based on rising interest rates in the short, shorter end of the yield curve, you know, one year under, two year under. 
But then we also took a, a concert, made a concerted effort in February to just outright sell um, completely out of the portfolio any bonds that matured uh, in years 2025 and years 2026 and beyond so that we were just focusing on 2022, 23, and 24 as in, in our individual bond holdings and our larger accounts. So it was a totally different composition in bond portfolio uh, than what we've ever had. This year, there has been more activity in the bond side of the portfolio to a factor of probably five than we've ever had in any year previously in the 30-plus years we've been managing money. And that's the way that we were been able to make money in bonds this year by making all those changes. Now, as Jim Cramer once said, bulls make money, bears make money, and hogs get slaughtered. So we didn't want to be a hog in our, especially in our short position, and we have been slowly reducing it here in the last few weeks. From as high as at one time it was a 12%, nearly a 12% asset allocation in our portfolios because of appreciation. We have been cut, cutting that back and using that money, as Kyle had said, to lock in some of these some of these yields in treasury instruments that we haven't seen in since, since uh, before the financial crisis. So we've shifted that money from those instruments into treasuries. And we haven't owned treasuries in our bond portfolios in a very long time because typically we get higher yields in, in owning corporate corporate bonds. But the di yield differential is so small it doesn't really pay to own any corporate bonds, especially in an environment like this where there could be some credit quality issues in the future in the, on the corporate side. So buying these these uh, treasury instruments, we have no credit risk. And so we've been slowly buying these bonds, one-year, two-year maturities. Uh, we also have one that, that matures here in December. we got some shorter-term money. And we've now, as of, as of today, we no longer own the instrument that profits each month as interest rates go higher and resets its income. We no longer own that instrument. And we're putting that money, reinvesting that money into individual bonds that are, that are yielding us now. You know, a one-year, two-year treasury is yielding 4% if not a little bit more. And so you've got to get some of that yield in your portfolio. Now I ask our listeners, is your advisor doing that? I think the vast majority would be absolutely not. They're not doing that. They're still in those passive portfolios. And this is not a time to be passive. I don't think we're done with what's going on in stocks. I don't think the lows are here. And when we get to that low, we may bop around that low for a period of time. To me, it, it's 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 first, second quarter next year when things become a whole lot clearer. The Fed will have stopped raising rates. The election will be over. We'll see if we get a pivot or not. We'll be into a new year. We'll have two straight quarters when the, when the companies can get their earnings and all whatever problems they're going to have, they're going to get them out there. The stocks will finally reach a, a, a level where you can really have a higher level of conviction, conviction putting money to work longer. 
I know we're up into the last minute, but I think I'll just leave it with that. <laughs> you, you wore yourself out in this last segment, Jeff. But don't forget, don't forget, you can always give us a call, 1-800-275-2162, to get that critical second opinion, get that portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, to really get the true picture of your portfolio, and to see where things could be dramatically improved, having full-time active management from a team that's been in the trenches combined together with all of our experience north of 70 years. So with that, we're coming up to the top of the hour break. We're going to take the break, go into the news. And when we come back, we'll be diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program and continuing with investor education. So stay tuned. We'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Money Wise guys will be back after the news. All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We've got my father, John, my brother, Jeff. I'm your host, Kyle Davidson, and we are heading into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program. Now, if you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at DavidsonCap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. If you missed the first hour of MoneyWise, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Click on the radio show link where you can listen to today's show as well as past MoneyWise programs. You can also subscribe to our iTunes feed by clicking on the blue note in the upper right-hand corner of our homepage at davidsoncap.com. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. Well, now, as we utilize every second hour of the MoneyWise program going into investor education and wanted to go into a topic that we haven't talked about in quite some time, um, it seems that a lot of our educational segments we talk to we talk to our listeners about the accumulation and the saving side of retirement and, and getting to that uh, retirement red zone but we we seldom discuss what happens once you're in retirement and, and really more importantly and more focused on how do you spend in retirement and the appropriate level of spending in retirement to make sure that your retirement nest egg lasts a lifetime. And there was an article, Dad, that you found from MarketWatch in the Wall Street Journal, and it really spurred us into saying to ourselves, you know what, we need to talk about this because I don't think we've covered it enough on this program. I, I think some of our listeners are currently in retirement or right on the verge of going into retirement, and there would be a very solid topic to go into so our listeners can start doing their own planning and what i what i call it when i work with our clients or prospective clients i call it financial road mapping that's just the the name i've given it uh, myself 
as far as what we do for our current clients, for prospective clients as they're transitioning into retirement, just to give them an idea of this is your nest egg, this is what you're projected to need to take out on a monthly basis and on an annual basis, and this is what can happen to your assets as you go through retirement. But there was a survey that was done in this article, and the title of the article is The Surprising Amount Retirees Spend. And this article really kind of goes in two different directions. It, it kind of it, it goes into the direction of retirees not really spending hardly anything of their retirement nest egg because they're terrified to spend well, a single dollar. They're concerned about outliving their money. They're concerned about that. But then there's the other side of the coin of retirees going, I don't want to use the word nuts, but spending a little bit more than they should and actually upsizing and because – Again, looking at a sizable amount of assets, let's say you retire, you've accumulated a million, $1.5 million, $2 million, that it gives them a sense of security that, hey, I can go from a 1,000-square-foot house, I want to build me a new 3,500-square-foot house in retirement because I have all of these assets, and not realizing what kind of significant impact that can make on their nest egg. And so there was a survey done uh, back in February, and they found that not only are some retirees not downsizing, but 30% of these retirees that they surveyed have actually upsized their lifestyle and have upsized I mean, that's a surprising their, their number. Their, 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 and have it? upsized their homes and their lifestyle. I was quite surprised seeing a 30% increase. Now, granted, this is their sample size. It's not a huge sample size. But, again, it's an interesting statistic that 30% of these retirees were upsizing um, as they go, as they moved into retirement. And I know that if any of our listeners went to a financial planner, went to a financial salesman and said, okay, here's here's my nest egg. I want to start drawing assets off of it to live in retirement. How much should I be pulling out? And it seems that the rule of thumb in the brokerage community and the financial planning community has always been a 4% rule. To be not taking out more than 4% of the total value of your portfolio on an annual basis. Now, at Davidson Capital Management, being that we're in our 26th year of business, we have a little bit different experience because we have proof of our management philosophy and how it is performed in good markets, bad markets, higher interest rate environments, and, and of course, the horribly low interest rate environment we're currently in. And we have found that you know, our clients have been able to average between a 6 and 7% withdrawal rate on an annual basis and not encroach on their principal assets they invested with us over the lifetime of the account. And we utilize client number one that's been with us 26-plus years and what they've been able to withdraw from their account and have not only taken out more than they originally invested with us, but actually have more in their account than what they originally invested with us. So we know that our philosophy works because we have proof. We have the numbers to prove it. Um, but that 4% rule has been used by the financial service industry for many, many years. But now, because of the extremely low interest rate environment, some of some folks in the financial service industry are now changing that withdrawal rate to between 2 and 3%. I mean, that's just that's insane, really. That is low. Well, in our opinion, 
the way we viewed this, this the four percent rule as as you talked about Kyle being used by our competitors and on Wall Street, we've kind of looked at it as they're trying to keep the bar as low for themselves as possible. Uh, that way, they can charge higher fees, sell their products that have loads, uh, you know, sales charges attached to them, and and still meet their four percent maximum rate of withdrawal. Uh, target that they tell their clients that they want what they want their clients to stick to. So we the, by taking it down to two or three percent maximum withdrawal rate per year, that's lowering the bar even more than what was what we what we thought was a pre was a low bar to begin with with a four percent rule. Right. So if you're if you if you got a client that's got a million dollars. And you're telling, well, you can only withdraw 2% a year. That's $20,000. Well, think about this. I mean, if you put it in the government bonds, 10-year bonds right now, exactly. you, you don't need any of this. You can get right at 2%. Exactly. So you don't, you don't need to go to Wall Street to get a 2% withdrawal rate. I mean, you can do that on your own dealing direct with the Federal Reserve. So that that's absurd. That's, what I said. that's insane. That's insane. Well, they're they're tr- I guess they're trying to cost themselves all the trailing commissions that Dad, you and I talked about on last weekend's show. They're they're trying to cost themselves a lot of commissions because, like you said, you can go directly to the treasury and buy government bonds, which is a guaranteed rate of return, the only guaranteed rate of return on Wall Street to generate that withdrawal yeah, to, rate of two to one percent. Whether it's two, three, or four percent, in my opinion, this looks like a revenue enhancement to. Uh, Policy by Wall Street. Okay, well, let's take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906 906- zero zero seven zero or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five two one six two and if you have an investment related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the money wise program you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com so continuing our investor education and it's an uh, and it comes from an article the surprising amount retirees spend and we're talking about spending in retirement and some of the rules of thumb that we utilize with our clients at Davidson Capital Management, uh, but also just some tips for pre-retirees so they can do a quick determination with very simple calculations of whether or not they're potentially ready for retirement and kind of hop on that proverbial horse and riding off into the sunset, and some things that they can do and utilize some free calculators uh, that are online for them to do some of their at-home at calculations. Now, getting back to this article, there's a financial research firm. Uh, I, I love the name of it. It's called Hearts and Wallets. <laughs> <laughs> this this research firm, they surveyed uh, a little bit over 1,200 households age 65 and older that had assets of more than $100,000. And the research, researchers found that only 12% uh, or I shouldn't say only, they found out that 12% took out over twice the 4% rule, closer to a 9% withdrawal rate per year, but they also found that 28% withdrew less than 1%. And some of these 
folks surveyed didn't remove any assets at all from their retirement assets. Now, I would be assuming that these folks either have, A, taxable assets and outside accounts, because most likely they would be asking if it's IRAs or pensions or what have you, or they have traditional defined benefit plans and getting their pension payment. They decided not to take the cash lump sum option, which is what we recommend to any retiree at Davidson Capital Management to take that lump sum distribution from your pension so you gain control of those assets, or their lifestyle is so modest that their Social Security payments are more than covering their daily living expenses. I mean, that's that's the only thing I was able to take away from this survey of over 1,200 households that were surveyed. but, you know, one thing that, that was interesting that came out of this article that really spurred us to want to talk about this is this mentality of chunks or nothing. And that means retirees going into their IRA accounts, going into their retirement accounts, and taking a chunk of money out at a particular period of time as opposed to spreading those payments out over a monthly basis. And I wanted to talk about this because... Being in business 26 years, we deal with this on a weekly basis at Davidson Capital Management where you know, we recommend that if you're going to be living off of your assets in retirement to set up really kind of your own annuity. And I hate to even use the word annuity, <laughs> but I have to let all of our listeners know the definition of the word annuity means a periodic stream of payments. That's what annuity means. Well, you can create your own annuity through an IRA without actually having to go and buy an annuity, and you do that by setting up a particular dollar amount that you're going to be withdrawing on a monthly basis from your retirement nest egg to live off of in retirement. And this is what we would recommend to Davidson Capital Management as opposed to taking chunks out. And the reason why we recommend not taking chunks of assets out are for a couple of reasons. First off, when you say, okay, I need $15,000 out of my account, and then four or five months later, I need $20,000 out of my account, and then a couple months later, you take another 10000 out, you get to the end of the year, you kind of forget the chunks of assets you took out earlier in the year. And so when you add up the total amount of withdrawals that you took, a lot of times you'll find out that you were violating, again, a at our at our firm, the six to seven percent withdrawal rate rule, where you're part of this group that's taking out nine, ten, eleven percent of your investable net worth well, by well, by taking it in chunks. But the other reason why we don't recommend doing this is you save for retirement typically through dollar cost averaging. If you're participating in a four hundred one k, you're dollar cost averaging into the market. It's also wise to dollar cost average out of the market because if you time the withdrawal of a big chunk of assets at the wrong time, it could wind up costing you at the end of the year when it comes down to your total performance return and growth of those assets. And I, An example that I like to use is think of your retirement nest egg like a golden goose. And that golden goose produces golden eggs, and those golden eggs are capital appreciation, dividend income, interest income. You want to keep that golden goose as large as possible, as long as possible to create the biggest golden eggs it possibly can. But if you're going in and taking large chunks of that golden goose out, then you start 
of course, leaking into the issue of the law of large numbers, meaning you want to keep your number, your retirement nest egg, as big as possible, as long as possible. So instead of taking $10,000 out, let's say you have to take $50,000 out a year. You know, Why don't you take $4,000 out a month as opposed to taking $15,000 out every quarter, You know, doing it that way? Uh, so bottom line is, is our recommendation is to dollar cost average assets out of your retirement nest egg as opposed to taking chunks at one time. The other thing we run into is that we'll see situations where um, clients don't give us the heads up when they're getting ready to need a chunk withdrawal, and it really affects what a manager is doing with the money if he's not Total. It's if you know money's coming out every month, you can also plan as a portfolio manager. Mm-hmm. When you do the chunk withdrawals, it can force sales that you don't want to make, and it may not come at the right time. That's I mean, right. I mean, you're you're affecting the return in your portfolio based on that chunk. Now, if you're fortunate enough to have taken a chunk out in early March of 2000, that'd have been a whole lot better than taking a chunk out. In October of 2000. But it averages out. That's true, but it averages out over the life of the but account. But if it's a large enough chunk, you start, I mean, when we know you start taking out more than 7% a year. You run the risk. You're going to be, you're going to be running out of money. I mean, depending on how many years this goes on. I mean, we know this. I mean, it's not something we have to study. 25 years plus seeing this, and we've had some wild and woolly markets since 1989, and we're going to have wild and woolly markets for the next 25 years. And so you start doing that, and you are going to run out of money. And, And I would say, and Jeff and I have been here long enough, we have seen people run through retirement accounts in a very short period of time, run through inheritances. It happens time and time again. And we will counsel these people and explain to them what's going to happen. But it seems like once it starts, they can't seem to stop it. Yeah. It's it's like hitting an artery that you you can't stop the bleeding. And it isn't. I mean, it's their money. We <laughs> are there to work for them. But we're also there to counsel. And we will tell, you know, you are going to see this money disappear a lot of the time when we see people taking chunks out of their retirement accounts uh they are more times than not uh purchases that they shouldn't be making um i've had to advise many times for folks they want to pay off their mortgage the first thing that happens is they retire and they have a seven-figure Retirement, and the very first thing they want to do is they want to get totally debt free, and they want to pay off their house, they want to pay off their cars, they want to pay off their credit cards. You know, some of these things we should have been planned ahead of time to have them paid off before you reach retirement. Maybe not necessarily the house, but by taking all these chunks now and converting them to assets that are appreciating at a lower rate or appreciating it. No, re- you know, or depreciating, like you know, paying like off a, a car or like a vehicle. Uh, that that that's a real problem. We've also had to counsel folks many times that are, and I'm going to use the term "quote unquote" retiring because they're not actually retiring; they're changing careers, and they go in and raid their retirement nest eggs in order to change careers. And I've had several situations where clients would 
take out 50 or 60% of their money or more to start a new business, change careers, and the, the, the problem that we have as, as long-term planners uh, of, of retirement nest eggs is that is this new endeavor going to replace this money that you're taking out in a short period of time? If you change careers at 50 years old, you know, and you're 10, 12 years away from retirement, and you take a million-dollar portfolio down to $500,000, are you going to be able to replace that $500,000 in 10 years in this new endeavor to restore your retirement back to where it was before? That's a that's a that's a question that I that any that I've had to pose to several people who did end up taking all the money, and in many in several cases we've had you know one that completely went through their entire retirement nest egg uh, in this new business endeavor, and that's not a good thing. We wouldn't recommend funding a new business endeavor with your retirement nest egg. No. You should go out and and find other forms of financing, and if you can't get it. Maybe you shouldn't be going into that business venture. Well, we're coming to the bottom of the hour break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after these words. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906 zero zero seven zero or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five two one six two and if you'd like to send us an email you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com so continuing our education of about retirement spending and, and really this whole conversation spurred by an article titled The Surprising Amount Retirees Spend. We've only got into a little bit of the article because we deal with this on a weekly basis at Davidson Capital Management, so we're really discussing our own personal experiences with our client base and just rules of thumb that we use as an investment advisor and also just some tips uh, for our listeners to utilize in getting prepared for retirement and to make sure that you don't outlive your assets. And one thing, Jeff, you were talking about, folks going into retirement wanting to pay off their cars, wanting to pay off their credit cards, wanting to pay off their house because they don't want to have any bills coming in. Right. And I think the the key there is is that the retirement planning process shouldn't begin the year before you're going to retire. The retirement planning process should be starting many years, you know, 3 years before. So that you if 3 years before you're planning on retiring, you have these credit cards and this car payment and this house payment, then the planning should start three years before. Well, we need to get the credit cards paid off because they're typically they're typically at much higher interest rates. You know, the cars. Well, that's a what are the rates the cars are at? That's you right. Know, if if you bought them here recently, uh, the their interest rates should be pretty low and probably wouldn't be advisable to pay them off uh, with retirement assets. You know, if their interest rates are really low. But because one thing that retirees forget is as you pull assets out of the IRA, they're fully taxable as ordinary income. So now you're paying taxes 
on this withdrawal to pay off this vehicle or to buy whatever. So it's it's uh, yeah, it's nice that you're paying it off, but you're having to pay taxes on that withdrawal. And and the thing that that we discuss here in the office is, well, look at the interest rate. Because we, we get it. We understand. Folks don't like to pay bills. No one likes to pay bills. They don't want to make that car payment on a monthly basis. They don't want to make that mortgage payment on a monthly basis. We get it. But you have to take a look at what is my interest rate? What am I paying? If I have a car note at, say, 2.5%, you want to continue to finance that. I know Jeff and I get this question all the time. Should I be paying cash for a new vehicle? Well, what's the interest rate? Well, it's three and a half percent no don't pay cash for it because just utilizing our our asset builder our moderate allocation our asset builder our goal return for that account over the lifetime of that account is seven percent so i use seven percent as the rule of thumb if the interest rate is below seven percent you finance it if the interest rate is above seven percent okay we can discuss paying cash for it because it Again, you want to keep that golden goose as large as possible, as long as possible, to take advantage of compound interest and the law of large numbers. The other thing about removing money from your retirement nest egg, especially if it's an IRA, to pay off bills is that the income taxes you have to pay. That's right. And, and, and if you don't have cash available to pay those income taxes, where do you have to rate again? To right. pay for those income taxes, so, your IRA again, so it's an ongoing cycle. So if you take, say, a $20,000 car loan at 3%, and you take that $20,000 out of your retirement nest egg, you're giving up $20,000 that, under our philosophy over the long term, might earn an estimated 7% to pay off a 3% loan. So that's 4% on $20,000. You know, four percent on twenty thousand dollars, I believe, is eight hundred dollars. If my member, if my math is correct, uh, per year, per year, exactly. And then on top of that, let's say you're in a fifteen percent tax bracket, and you take that twenty thousand dollars out. Well, now you're looking at uh, was that three thousand dollars in, in income taxes? Is you're going to have to pay pulling that money out? So you're giving up. $800 a year in additional income compounded and a $3,000 tax bill in a 15% tax bracket just to pay off a $20,000 car loan at 3%. Well, imagine how that works out if you want to expand it out to paying off a house. It can, you know, it can cost let's say you it's a lot. A couple of hundred thousand dollar house and at a 4% interest rate. You know that those are, those run into some really big numbers. I mean, the taxes alone. You know, if it was two hundred thousand dollars, you might you get hit with a twenty plus percent tax bill. That's forty thousand dollars in taxes. Now, now talking about vehicle purchases or talking about homes, like you were talking about earlier, Jeff. If if you have several credit cards all carrying balances at a high interest rate. You really need to get those paid off before you even contemplate going into retirement. I mean, you really need to have consumer debt from the credit card standpoint, that financial house in order before you go into retirement. As I say to prospective clients or current clients, if you have a car note at a low interest rate, that's fine going into retirement. You have a mortgage payment at a low interest rate going into retirement, that's fine. But any consumer debt, you really want to have that paid off. 
before you go into retirement because of all the reasons we were just explaining. You don't want to retire and have to pull out $75,000 to pay off credit card debt because now, here you go again, you're having to pay tax on that distribution to pay these credit cards off. So if you find yourself thinking about retirement and you're sitting on $20,000, $25,000 in credit card debt, you need to focus on paying off that debt first so you don't find yourself in a situation where you go and you retire and now you're having to pull out 8, 9, 10% a year out of your retirement nest egg to keep up with all of these bills. But how do you figure out how much do I need in retirement? Now, I will tell you this. If we all knew when the last day on earth was going to be for each and every one of us, boy, retirement planning would be so simple. It would be so easy. But unfortunately, no one knows when their last day on earth is going to be. So you always have to prepare the oldest saying in the book, prepare for a rainy day. So what you need to do and what we recommend is if you want to maintain your lifestyle, as as I say to prospective clients, if you're used to eating steak – three times a week, don't think that once you go into retirement, you're going to be eating PB&J and rice and beans three times a week instead of steak. So we recommend to take 12 months of your spending and average them out. Add up 12 months. And if you haven't If you don't keep good records and you're thinking about retirement, you need to start keeping a record every month of what you're spending for your cell phone, your electricity, your water, your entertainment, food, all of your expenses. You add up 12 months, divided by 12, you get your average. And once you have that average, you multiply by 12 again. That is your withdrawal rate per year that you need to take out in order to maintain that lifestyle. Now, if that dollar amount divided by how much you've saved is greater, that withdrawal rate is greater than, say, 7%, then you need to either, A, lower your living expenses somehow, or, B, you need to work longer and you need to save more. And, again, there's financial calculators. There's a website called financialcalculators.com. I absolutely love this website. You can utilize it for free. It has so many calculators and so many different consumer finance and retirement planning arenas, it will blow your mind. And And it's a website that I use very, very often. In fact, I used it today. So utilize financialcalculators.com, but you need to sit down and do this work. Don't just go into retirement blindly and figure out what you're going to need to be spending on a monthly basis, and that's what we would recommend is taking monthly withdrawals, not chunks. You have to get out of the chunk mentality. And we understand emergencies arise where you do have to tap in more than than what you are taking out on a monthly basis. We get that, but don't make it a habit. I was going to say the the key to managing retirement assets, to me, comes down to one word, flexibility. Absolutely. And flexibility means that your retirement assets are not invested in instruments that... Take that away. Yeah, that that reduce your ability to withdraw if an unforeseen event comes comes you know happens, and I'm kind of laying this at the feet of non-publicly traded 
REITs or private placements or annuities of all different kinds. Or even taking a defined benefit payment from a traditional pension. That would be something else, right. taking a traditional roll, pension. Yeah, roll, instead of taking the lump sum, you roll. You just go on and say, I'm going to take the pension, and that's it. Because once you lock yourself in to taking that pension payment, you're done. You, you, that's, the, that's it. You're only getting that amount of money for the rest of your life, for the rest of your life and your spouse's life. And then once those two exp- typically... Once, once, if you choose the right, the, the particular option where you get you get a pension payment for your lifetime, and your wife gets a pension payment for her lifetime, there's no other assets going to the uh, estate, and it's not those payments are not adjusted for inflation. So every month that goes by, that pension payment is buying less, and they're also not guaranteed. That's right. No matter how strong the corporation is. And I know the the refinery businesses here in the Corpus Christi area are very good at taking care of their employees. I mean, we've seen it firsthand. But there are no guarantees in life. And when you have your pension and you're taking those pension payments, and if that pension goes insolvent, very bad things can happen. And we'll talk about that when we come back from our last commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-275. 2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So, in our last segment of this weekend's MoneyWise program, uh, before we went to break, Jeff was talking about maintaining flexibility in retirement. And I was talking about taking pension payments. And we were talking about solvency of pensions. The one thing that each and every one of our listeners needs to understand is that there is no such thing as a guaranteed pension from any corporation. I mean, corporations have gone out of business all the time. I mean, I think of WorldCom. I think of Enron. There's other corporations that have gone out of business. The airline, a lot of airline industry or a lot of companies in the airline industry have gone out of business. The reason why we recommend taking a lump sum distribution, if it's available, in your pension, or if you have, if you're lucky enough to still have a defined benefit or pension plan from your employer, the reason why we recommend to take that cash lump sum payout is to be able to maintain that flexibility in retirement and not rely on your former employer to be making those monthly payments to you because you have to understand those monthly pension payments are not hedged are not adjusted for monetary inflation. So what buys you uh, in 2015 is going to buy you a heck of a lot less the payment, the same payment you're getting in 2020 or in 2030. So that's the reason why you want to take that lump sum to have that flexibility and also to have access to those assets in case you do run into an emergency or want to be spending a little bit more that you can afford to spend a little bit more than what your pension payment uh, you're receiving is going to amount to. But the other reason is that if a pension goes insolvent, it gets turned over to the PBGC, the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation, 
And the thing you have to understand is the PBGC has multi-billion dollars of unfunded pension liabilities, and they have a cap set on the maximum amount a pension recipient can receive on a monthly basis. And so if you were lucky enough to be receiving a very sizable, say, a four or $5,000 a month pension payment, well, last I checked, which is it's been a, it's been a while since I've checked, but if memory serves me correct, the PBGC's maximum monthly payout is less than $3,000 a month. So if you're receiving a four or $5,000 monthly pension payment, and the pension gets turned over to the PBGC. Yeah, you just sliced. You just sliced your. Regardless pension of how much you're receiving a month, you're going to get less. Yeah, you're going to get less. That's right. And something else that we've talked about on past shows: some horror stories concerning these pension payouts. And I've read this right out of the Wall Street Journal: is the actuarial firms crunching the numbers have run into situations where they find out that a pension has been overpaying pension recipients for years and years and years and one day a pension recipient goes to the mailbox receives a letter stating oh we've overpaid you over the last 10 years $150,000 you need to pay that back to us immediately or we're going to cut your pension benefit in half until we recoup that that overpayment it's rare it's rare it's very rare but it happens one thing that struck me was was this um, that was on page two of the and come, going back to the article, uh, and the article titled, let me get back to the title, The Surprising Amount Retirees Spend, um, the roadmap for policymakers and Americans' view of the retirement crisis from the National Institute of Retirement Security found that in a survey of 801 Americans, 67% said that they'd be willing to take less in salary increases today today in exchange for guaranteed income in retirement. And again, this goes right this is laid right to the feet of this pension benefit, this the secure the secure feeling you get from receiving that monthly check from a pension or from an annuity, and unfortunately, these payments are not adjusted for monetary inflation. And we constantly talk about monetary inflation on the Money Wise program because not enough folks in the financial service industry are talking about it. Monetary inflation is the silent killer to the value of your retirement nest egg. Well, what, what I see here, when I see people wanting to take less salary today for this Guaranteed amount quote, of money, quote unquote, guaranteed in the future. And the one thing you don't want to do is whatever that payment you're getting at age sixty-five or sixty-six, you're not going to like it at age seventy-eight, seventy-nine. I, I I will guarantee you that. Oh, you're using the G. Yeah, word. yeah, that's the guarantee. The guarantee is you're, you're not, not going to like it. You're not going to like that amount of money ten years down the road. The one thing I'm, you know, I'm only seventy. I'm not. I'm not. You know, I, I'm not. Retired, retired. But the one thing that Jeff said that is is the most important word is that flexibility. You cannot give up flexibility. And here's people saying, oh, if you just pay me less money today. I'm, I'm willing to get, take less know, money try, and give up flexibility. And give up flexibility. No. No. I mean, this, this but is. But that's fear talking, Dad. See, right. that's the thing. This is fear. These 67% of these 801 people surveyed. This is fear. This is the 67% that the annuity community focuses on. That's right. These are the fearful people that we've talked about 
last year on a show, the Dalbar study of overly emotional investors constantly remembering their losses and their failures and not remembering their victories. And because of the 24-hour news cycle, because of the volatility that's here to stay on Wall Street, it's never going away. And I don't think it's ever going to get any better. You know what I would like to do if I was retiring, if I thought in terms of guaranteed, create a laddered government bond portfolio knowing that interest rates are going up in the future and that guaranteed amount is going to be going up in the future. And guaranteed by the federal government. Instead of taking salary increases in exchange for a guaranteed income in retirement, how about they keep the same salary but contribute more to their 401ks and build up their 401k nest eggs and stop being so fearful about day-to-day movements in the stock markets or what this pundit is saying and that pundit is saying and just pay yourself more in, in, in accumulating retirement assets now because taking a, accepting a lower salary for, in exchange for a guaranteed income in retirement that's baloney. The, the, what it's, it's just never that this guaranteed income in retirement is not going to be enough to fund a, comfort, a comfortable retirement, retirement for, for most people. It's just not. So, so pay yourself first now with your increased salary by contributing more to your 401ks and have some money in stocks and have some money in bonds and have some money in cash, but don't have it all in bonds and cash because you're never going to beat monetary inflation over the long term if you're not willing to take a little bit of risk now. And if any of our listeners would like to have a deeper powwow concerning their particular financial situation, you can reach us in our office on Monday at 906 906- Zero zero seven zero or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five two one six two, and with that, from my father John and my brother Jeff, this is Kyle Davidson saying, "Have a fantastic weekend and to your financial health." We will talk to you next week.